Welcome to another episode of LDN, London Digital Mattering. Organizations seek to transform themselves for various reasons, often to increase their value, sometimes for other reasons, but often for reasons that are unclear even to themselves. Now, organizations are having to adapt to the new normal of COVID-19, and whilst this is encouraging many to move out of their comfort zones and try something new, often with cash flow squeezed and the market changing around them, there's a huge price to pay for getting transformation wrong. Worse still, a Harvard Business Review study shows that 70% of large-scale business transformations fail to meet their goals. I'm your host, Kieran Hanway, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Arif Harbert and Cohen Mulligan, authors of the Hero Transformation Playbook. Arif Harbert is a chief technology officer and digital leader widely renowned as a champion of enterprise transformation. Cohen Mulligan is a digital transformation executive who's led and worked on some of the largest transformation programs in Europe over the last 15 years. Together, they wrote the Hero Transformation Playbook, which sets out exactly how to design and deliver successful transformations and large-scale change programs using their Hero Transformation Framework. Offering the best chance of success, it provides a clear method to help you design a transformation for maximum enterprise value. As usual, you'll find show notes on our site, www.ldnpodcast.com. You can follow us and say hi on Twitter, at ldnpodcast. And please do subscribe and leave a review wherever you found us. And now, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Arif Harbert and Kuhn Mulligan. So, hello, Arif. Hello, Kuhn. Hey, Karen. How are you? Well, hey, Karen. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for joining the show today. Um, so, um, as I've covered in the intro, you guys are about to be published. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what is going to get published? Well, it's a it's a labour of love that has taken us far more years than I care to admit. It's the it's a five year process that's allowed us to kind of spend a lot of time thinking about all of our knowledge, collective knowledge around transformation. I think it was kind of the genesis of this book was we saw so many transformations failing. You just have to look in the press, some of our own experiences, and we couldn't work out why. And so what we decided to do is based on our collective experience of running over a billion pounds worth of transformations, we said, let's put together a playbook for our teams and for our clients such that we would be the one in 10 that succeeded as opposed to the nine out of 10 that failed. Mm. And as we started to do that, we found that it was actually very few frameworks about how to run a successful transformation. So we kind of endeavored to build our own, which as we realized is actually a very difficult process working out all the roles, all the processes. And we didn't want it to be very high level and superficial, like a lot of the kind of books and frameworks out there. We want it to be very, very actionable and detailed. And if you do something very actionable and detailed, it requires an awful lot of thought uh, and it takes an awful lot of time, far more time than I think we expected. So fast forward five years and uh, in a couple of weeks, the 22nd of September, the Hero Transformation Playbook will be out and uh, I will not be writing another book, that's for certain. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's a long time in the making and I'm, I'm really pleased to have been uh, involved in some of the proofreading and, and such. And I was really, really struck by um, how you've managed to combine a sort of a big picture with the nitty gritty as well and making it actionable. But one thing that I think is really easy to lose sight of at the moment is uh, here we all are sitting around the table throwing the word transformation about 
um, what does it mean for people listening to the show? What, what do we mean by transformation anyway? Shall I have a go, Kuna, and then you can jump in? Yeah, sure. I think it's the most overused word in business today. Um, and I think that was actually one of the first things we did. We spent a lot of time agreeing what a transformation is because I can't find a kind of industry standard, well understood, well adopted term. So what we decided to do was to write our own. Uh, so I'll read this out and I appreciate it's a bit long and clumsy. All right. But I'll talk it through it each session of the way. Maybe Kuhn, you can jump in with some of it as well. So we define a transformation as a large change program initiated due to a dissatisfaction with current business results that cannot be rectified through business as usual, that has a positive material impact on enterprise value. So maybe if I start off with large scale change program and then maybe Kuhn, you do dissatisfaction with current business results. So large scale change program. It has to be big change that has a significant impact on your organization. If you're hiring a few people or you're changing some very small processes, that is not a transformation in our book. It has to be something big and gnarly that the organization will all, almost try to act against. Uh, never to mm. do large scale change. People kind of, because the grain of an organization has been set for so many years, when you try and change it, people go, oh my God, what's going on? So it has to be large, has to be gnarly, and the organization has to kind of sit up and, and watch. And do you want to talk about dissatisfaction with current business results, Kuhn? Yeah, I mean, for us, a lot of transformations are born from either something conscious, like there is a, we're losing market share, or there is a, there's just a need to survive in the industry because the industry's changed, like something like COVID. However, there's also a huge amount of ones that just they're born from frustration and just people just say, oh, we should do something different than they do. And we find that unless you get really clear and very conscious about what the problem is that you're actually trying to fix and get really clear about what that is, A, you're not going to have a guiding light shining you forward and directing you as you go through the transformation. But you're also not going to have the motivation to make some of the really hard decisions that are all, will inevitably come up as you go through the transformation. So it's really, really important that you get absolutely clear on that internal motivation with the dissatisfaction of where you are today so that you can use that and leverage that to move forward. I think the so director. Sorry, go on. Go on. No, no, no. Go on. Go on. Yeah, well, I'm going to go on to the other one. So I don't know whether you want to ask a question around that one or. Well, I, I kind of wanted to uh, sort of pick into that. So there are some sure. parallels here with product development as well. Like, you know, if it, it's all very well having a really uh, optimized um, product development capability. I, I tend to describe it as having a, a great rowboat with good rowers in it. But if you don't know what the direction you're going in, what's the point? And it seems to me that what you're describing here is having having a really clear focus on an outcome that you want to drive to. That, that's the sort of the, the that's what you're going to need to get out of the trouble. And yes, but yeah. unless you, the John Cotter talks, there's sort of the burning platform where you don't have a fire in your bed, you're not going to get out of it because it's quite comfortable where you are. So this is really, really baking yourself in understanding what is the problem that you need to fix. And if you don't fix it, there's going to be a materially negative impact to your organization. So this is sort of the, 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 the motivation, the fuel for figuring out where it is you want to go and then how you're going to get there. Because, you know, if you're going to materially change your organization, 
it's not going to be all easy and like, full of nice, comfortable decisions. And unless you've got that thing burning you and pushing you forward, you're not going to make the tough choices. You just won't. So I think that's the it's it's a sort of a, it's a real foundational block on which you get to stand upon as you move forward in the change. Brilliant. And 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 both of you have devoted. We've just established this five years. It, it, this is five years in the making. This this whole framework. I'd love to just understand your journey to that point, to the point of publishing a book on the 22nd of September 2020 available in all good bookstores of course so <laughs> so i kind of want to understand the motivation of what what drove you not only to develop your careers so your journey in your careers to that point but also to sit down and presumably give up evenings and weekends to pull this thing together yeah i mean for me quite honestly the thing that drove me was was Kuhn. It's a horrible process to write a book. I mean, it's a horrible process writing a book. I mean, maybe in the show notes you can link to this, but I wrote perhaps the world's longest blog post on all the processes um, and all the steps to write a a business book. And it's a really long process. It's a really long process. And if you don't have someone there standing shoulder to shoulder with you, pushing you and helping you in the kind of the moments where you seem like it's Groundhog Day, I honestly don't know how people write books solo. Um, So that, that was one part of it. And the other part of it was, a bit of a bucket list just to write a book and say hey i'm a published author there's a little bit of a, a vanity thing in there saying yeah i've got a book yeah um, something i've always wanted to do getting to the point now i'm thinking if i don't do it soon i'm never going to do it so um, and then i guess the third point for me personally was just to get this message out in the world i mean there is a part of me that just thinks if we can get more trans i mean this is a high dream if we can get more transformations to be successful hopefully the world of business is a better place um maybe a better place for future generations i mean it's a very very idealistic high goal uh, maybe we won't get there but that's kind of the, the three things that were pushing me I don't know what you think Ian. yeah I mean I, I think we say five years I mean that's five years when I think the real work started there was a there was a version of this book that I started probably 12 years ago called the organizational cookbook and mm. I got as far as the title and the table of contents and that's all that's all that I <laughs> So it it was then just through some sort of fortuitous conversations with the riff and and you know we would read many many books about change and it always left you wanting more like oh, the guy you get you excited about something it's like great but I don't know how to do that so how do I do it and they have no opinion around that so they just point out what you need to do but they don't actually tell you how to do it so we we sort of the litmus test of what we felt was a good book was that if we were reading this there would be we'd have nothing wanting we didn't we didn't want people to be reading this book going i wish they'd only told us this so we literally have have tried to put every trade secret secret way of doing anything um into this book so it is as hands-free and self-contained as possible yeah that's a big that's a tall order because every time you explain something there's always a gap between that thing and the next thing yeah. So how how did you um without getting too deep into the process of writing a, a book but how how did you how did you know where to stop I mean it's a big book right so so when did you know it was enough I I don't think you actually do know I think it's one of those things just just gut feel I mean like I said the litmus test was could someone read this book and then without our help run a successful transformation that was kind of the litmus test 
and we'll know after it, it kind of gets released. It's a bit like when you release software for the first time, you've had a whole load of hypotheses. You don't really know until it gets into the hands of the users and then you iterate it. Unfortunately, it's really hard to iterate a book. I mean, I think one of the great examples that we did when we were actually building the framework and the first thing we did was actually build the framework and that framework had many, many iterations. So probably over the first 18 months, we would have a framework and we go, oh, that, that feels done. Mm. And then work would get in the way and we get really busy. And then we'd look back at it again, having not looked at it for a number of weeks and we'd just go, what the hell was that doing there? Or mm. we've really missed this thing. And we ended up just following that process for a while until we just kept on looking at it and going, actually, there's nothing we want to take out and there's nothing we want to add in anymore. Mm. Now, maybe in a year or two, we, we, we may change that, but we stopped that sort of changing phase of it. Um, and then we, we were just able to go, right, okay, we want to introduce this. So we had an introduction to each bit. And then for each bit or each element of the model, we just basically wanted to make sure we explained why we did it, how to use it, where it goes wrong, where it can be challenging, what to do about it, where you can get more information from. And then we just had to do that pattern for each of the elements. Um, that sort of became a finishing line, but the reality is it's never finished. There's always more you can do. Um, I think until we, we started working with a fantastic publisher who really helped us shape our process. And as soon as she said, right, you're publishing on the 22nd of September, it, it gave us a milestone that forced us to change things and change, okay, we've got to finish this now. We've then got to start doing the graphics, got to start doing the, the, the various marketing elements. So by having that sort of stake in the ground, it locked in and it restricted the amount of tweaks that we could do because we could easily tweak the layout and some of the words forever, but we, yeah, that, that allowed us to stop. It's funny, the way the process you're describing, it sounds very much like, you know, almost developing some software. You, you, you built your temp, your approach, your framework, seem to have tested it, presumably with users or with stakeholders, right? Mm -hmm. You put it out to the market to see what people thought, and then you fleshed it out after iterating it. It's almost yeah. like running a discovery, and then you've built the thing. I mean, somewhat. Really I mean, cool. we had a we had a multidisciplinary team. We had designers, copy editors, proofreaders, people who were doing the typesetting. So it was, it was a it actually quite a lot of similarities to. I mean, obviously we're software guys as well, so we obviously leverage what we know. Um, but yeah, no, I think there's there's quite a lot of similarities um, with that. Cool. So th thanks for that. Thanks for indulging my curiosity about how to write a book. Um, every, they say everybody has a novel in them or, or, or a blog or nowadays a business book, uh, maybe one day. So um, so transformation, back to that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm loading it a bit now, sort of it, it, using the lens of COVID. Um, and in fact, a lot of the guests that I'm having on the show these days, that seems to be front of mind for some reason. Um, do you, do you see that there's a particular urgency now? Organisations are feeling that more. Absolutely. Yeah. I think COVID has COVID has just changed the paradigm of which companies operate under in, in a way that's never been experienced before. From organisations that have had to put staff on furlough and then figure out how do they come back in uh, incrementally. Yeah. Where the challenge of trying to manage the cash flow mm -hmm. uh, 
So, you know, having to do, you know, a by our definition, a real transformation to take out a significant portion of your cost profile so that you can be leaner, faster, better to allow yourself to survive and get out the other side of this uh, pandemic, I think is absolutely critical. Um, alternatively, we've also seen organizations that have had to unfortunately let some people go, but then they've actually found out that it's like a forced, like a forced transformation where they've, they've had to sort of reinvent, they've had to move from physical stores to digital stores, and then they've had to do it with less people because they just didn't have the cash flow to, to support everybody. And yet then they find themselves going, well, hold on a second, we've got a lot less people, but we're still doing a good service. We're still adding value to our customers and we're still right. making So it sort of, it raises the question, why didn't you do that before the virus forced your hand to do it? Yeah. And this goes back to the sort of the, the dissatisfaction with current results uh, that we talked about earlier on. I think we're, we're seeing people, sort of the virus, bring that to the forefront for people um, and provide the opportunity and certainly the need to to change. Yeah, I think one other thing is that the last part of our transformation definition is positive material impact on enterprise value, which is a fancy way of saying your company needs to be more valuable after the transformation than when you started. And I think having that kind of financial platform is very, very important in the kind of COVID era. Companies have less capital to deploy, perhaps they're looking to take cost out. They're looking at things in a very black and white way because the necessity is they need to survive. So I think if you can if you can talk about transformation in the language of it will help you survive and here's the impact it will have on your organization materially in terms of the finances, then it's a lot easier conversation than saying, hey, can we just adopt this framework and can we just do this thing? Uh, because I think a lot of the senior exec time at the moment is focused on real hard results. And I think that's the yeah. thing about a framework is it's all about value delivery. And I think that's my the biggest annoyance I have with kind of change management and transformation in the industry. It's too fluffy. We we kind of built this under the watchful eye of working with a lot of private equity companies. So it's very focused on you do a transformation, you spend five million on it. Therefore, your organization should be 50 million more valuable at the end of it. Otherwise, why the hell did you do it? Because it's really hard to do. And especially in these times now where you've probably got one shot, you haven't yes. got too many opportunities to, to go wrong in this in this environment. Um, so you've got to make sure you're betting on something that has very strong foundations. Yeah, I guess that's an irony in that uh, COVID has provided a burning platform. We talked about those things earlier to, to drive the change. But on the other hand, it's sucking the oxygen out of the bottom line. And as you say, you've got one one chance before that money runs out. Mm. So so speaking of chances, where where have you seen it? Is it what, what's informed your model in terms of um, the counterfactual getting it wrong? How, how does how does transformation go wrong? And how does your model address that? Rich, do you want to start with this or shall I? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. I'm, I'm sure we'll pick the same thing because we, we, we've debated. You wrote, you wrote the same book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the biggest the biggest thing by a mile, and I almost feel embarrassed saying it, it that people don't realise this because they know it, they just don't do it, is they do not know what they are trying to achieve in terms of a, a business outcome. That sounds ridiculous, right? So in when we start off, we have, there's two phases in our framework. There's design and delivery. So in design, you're getting very, very, very clear about your transformation outcome. And it has to be very, very tangible. So I'm gonna take 500 million of cost out of my business. 
I'm going to grow my profit by 30 percent. Uh, I am going to do this to get there. So it's very, very tangible. And I've been with so many clients, big clients, right? Big investment banks or really big FTSE retailers. And you go in and you say, right, you've been running this transformation for 18 months. And they call us in and they say, things are not going well. And we go, okay, fine, great. We can fix that. What are you trying to do? And it's a tumbleweed moment. Like, no, but what? what but no, let me freeze the question. What is your transformation trying to achieve? tumbleweed moment Gosh. and what some of the best answers we've had is oh we want to get better i mean great how do you know if you're on track how do you know if you're off track you're just spending money to be busy and i think that is one of the biggest things we see time and time again it's almost embarrassing because it's so obvious and everyone if you sat them down and said did you think your transformation outcome should be measurable and clear and quantifiable? Of course, everyone would say yes, not rocket science. But for some reason, when people start these large change programs, they prioritize being busy over kind of really taking the time to make sure that every activity ties back to achieving your transformation outcome. Yeah. I mean, I've had a a slightly bizarre scenario in a a client where they'd already started their transformation and we were coming in to support them. And we spent a number of weeks maybe being a little bit evangelical, but really sticking to our principles of the framework because we know it it, it sort of works and it's a bit of an ecology. And we said, why are you doing this change program? Like, what is the what is the overall impact for this? And no one had an eloquent answer, which is fine because, you know, it's, it's not it's not terribly long, maybe a couple of days or even half a day to get to an answer. Uh, but eventually, uh, one of the senior people in the organization took me aside and said, you, you really need to stop asking that question. And I was like, OK, can, can I ask why? And he's like, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And we probably should have asked it at the start. But now you're just making me look foolish. So I'm right. like, OK. And so just as, as, a, as a real world example of what a riff was saying there, when you lay this out in front of people, they go, yeah, we should do it that way. That makes total sense. And that's exactly the problem we wanted to fix with people. People want to do the right thing. There's nothing out there to help them do the right thing. So they do the best job that they can. Mm. And quite often, the pressure and the urgency that they're under, they'll go and just start doing something because they don't know how to do anything else because there isn't something else that tells them to go and do better planning or to do more upfront thinking on this. So I think we we've set out to help those people who are doing change and are under the pressure to deliver change, but to do it in a way that has got a far greater outcome or likelihood of success. Yeah, there's a group element of groupthink I've noticed too, where where this is just ha- this is just what we're doing. Uh, and for whatever reason it is, lack of curiosity or fear, people don't really ask why are we doing this? Um, and possibly the more people you have in a room, the less likely you are to get that question, oddly enough, yeah. Yeah, okay so 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 not focusing on the on the why is how it goes wrong on the what sorry on the what yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I think the the other the, there's we have sort of five observed patterns of issues and transformation but not to sort of labor the point on all of them I think value is definitely the number one issue that we'd look at and the second one is something that we we find very unique in our approach and our model is what we call dual accountability. So a lot of time in organizations, the senior people just tell the junior people or the less senior people just to get on and do it. Just get, don't want to hear it, just, just get on and do it. And that's a, you know, f- fine to ask that, but that doesn't actually change the reality that the people who are doing the projects or the initiatives 
are really struggling to do work inside the organization because it's just not designed to work this way. You know, one of the, you know, we've said a transformation is an extraordinary event. You cannot do this with your business as usual. So by its very definition, you're going to struggle to do it. And there's generally no function inside an organization to remove those impediments or blockers as getting in the way of people delivering the value. And so what we've introduced is this sense of dual accountability, which means that the senior person absolutely gets to hold the people doing the job accountable for delivering the outcome. But the people who are doing that work get to hold the senior people to responsible and accountable for changing things so that they can actually go and do their job in the first place. And it's that upwards, upwards responsibility or um, ability to hold them accountable to change and change in the organization that we think is very unique and is a, is a key, a key tool to unlocking the success of delivery uh, transformation delivery yeah and you see you see it all the time like you have a trade let's say you have, uh, this is a real world example actually obviously i won't use the real client name but working with a, a very big uh, retailer and they had a, a process that the transformation wanted to change and it's a very important process there's lots of governance lots of regulation around it and the transformation team were tasked with changing it and as you can imagine, the BAU organization, the people who were kind of stewards of this very important process, invariably were saying, no, you're not changing it. No, you're not changing it. And the transformation team were being held to account to deliver something that they could not deliver. And if you say that to someone, you'll, people will go, well, that's really silly. But that typically is what we see time and time and time again. So this is why the senior team, the, the people who are accountable for governing the transformation, it is their job to unblock the delivery of value. Uh, and it's just something that we just don't see very often. And again, it's very obvious, but until you actually see it time and time and time again, we've seen it in so many transformations, you just realize that you need a mechanism for that two-way accountability. And it's not just hit the delivery team with a stick um, because if it's outside their control, there's nothing they can do about it. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, um, and and, so what sort of, I guess in a minute, I'd be really, really interested to look at the actual framework or walk through the framework with you, um, the HERO framework. So um, what are the, could you give us an example of a mechanism that you'd recommend for somebody struggling with driving that accountability and ownership in the teams? Yeah, we, we have something called the blockers backlog. Um, and when we walk through the model, we can talk about the various governance mechanisms. But there's a there's a key meeting. The biggest and most important meeting within our framework is called the, the TAM, the Transformation Accountability Meeting. It's where the transformation lead, the person in charge of achieving the transformation outcome, brings all their delivery teams together. I won't go into detail now, but in a part of that meeting is any new blockers are raised by the delivery teams to the transformation lead. So the delivery of value is being blocked. I need some help to fix it. That goes on the blockers backlog. And then as part of that TAM meeting, the delivery teams are asking the transformation lead, they're holding them accountable to say, these are the things that have been blocked. How are you doing and unblocking them? Um, so you have a, a mechanism, which we go into great detail about explaining, but it's all around the blockers backlog, uh, making sure that the, the transformation lead number one priority is unblocking those issues to re release the delivery of value again because as you know if you stop the delivery of value then the transformation is starved of oxygen and it will just peter out brilliant it's a it's a two-way street then uh, yeah. if you want results from us we need an environment from you yes it's exactly right that's you should have written the book that's much more <laughs> than we have. <laughs> great um 
So, yeah, you, you were mentioning earlier about the general dysfunction. So are there any other sort of key ones you think the listeners should be aware of as, as we move through? I think, they're, I think they're the key ones. I mean, we call it the five dysfunctions of transformations, but I think we picked up the, the key ones. I mean, perhaps it's more useful just to start giving a, a brief overline of, uh, overview of the, of the framework itself. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So day one, boots on the ground, what happens? Riff, do you want to crack on with that or do you want to like... You have, you have to start and then I'll, I'll jump in. So the framework, as Riff alluded to earlier on, has got two broad phases. There's the design phase and then delivery phase. So boots on the ground, day one. The first element is about establishing the transformation outcome. So that's really understanding where is it that you want to go and how is that going to be measurable and tangible. So, for example, saying we want to get better is, is not going to cut the mustard, it's not sufficient. However, saying something we need to take uh, 10 million cost out of our current spend is. Uh, we worked with a, a charity who have, they impact a number of children a year, I think it was about two and a half thousand, and they wanted to increase that to help and support up to 11 and a half thousand children. So that is a measurable benefit and a measurable outcome um, that is that would definitely serve the needs of to move on to the next stage. So once you've established the transformation outcome, the next part is we generate an enterprise map. An enterprise map is a, a visual way of understanding the current performance of the organization. So in that case of the charity, looking at the two and a half thousand children that they supported, we broke down how do they do that? Um, and as a sort of simplified example, they uh, I think it was like maybe 500 were impacted through people calling and speaking to them um, directly, and about 2,000 were impacted through or uh, supported through digital channels. So the reality was that they did not have the budget to increase the manual aspect. So this was a digital transformation to go from the 2,000 up to 11,500. And that gives you this high level overview of the current performance of the organization. And there's going to be lots of gaps in that. There's going to be bits where maybe there weren't the right people in the room. So you end up with this another phase, which is called targeted analysis. And the enterprise map allows you to target your interventions and your interviews to fill in any of the gray areas that came up in that initial workshop to figure out where, how does the organization currently operate. And during that phase, you're also starting to hypothesize as to where could we achieve the outcome. So in, in a case that we've had in the past where we've worked with a client had a process that was taking 40 weeks and they wanted to get it down to 10 weeks. There was one part of that which was logistics which was um, which was about nine weeks in total and they had just signed a, a new contract with their supplier that was valid for I think three to five years. So there was no changing that. So the aspiration to get down to 10 weeks mean, meant the other 40 weeks had to get down to one and it just wasn't feasible. So very early on, you start to talk about the feasibility of the transformation. So in that case, we, we negotiated with the executives to change the aspiration of the transformation and 10 wasn't, wasn't going to cut it. So they went for, let's say, 20 weeks. So that was a 40 to 20 week transformation where they thought it was going to be a 40 to 10. So once you start getting that, you get line of sight. We then generate what's called the transformation plan. And this is the third element of design. And the transformation plan is about building up a list of initiatives or projects or ideas that each one will directly contribute to, this, to the transformation outcome and that you have enough of them that generates the outcome in itself. 
So as you're building up initiatives, for example, going back to the, um, the, the children supported in the charity, if you have, right, we need to find 11,000 uh, ways to support another 11,000 children, you might say, right, we're going to implement a new feature on the, or a new program within the digital channel, that's going to impact 2,000. Great. Okay, so now we've got a certain, we've got a, a gap that we still need to fill. And you repeat that process over and over again until you have line of sight to the transformation outcome. Once that's complete, you have the fourth and final phase of delivery, sorry, design, which is initiation. And this is where you are going to the board to get formal approval for the uh, transformation, signing off all of the resources that you're going to be needing. So who's going to be the transformation lead, who's going to be the various work stream leads, and where you're getting the initial resources allocated to you in terms of workspace, setting up all the infrastructure, setting up the ability to track and measure results. That's one of the other dysfunctions which we haven't touched, touched on yet is most organizations subjectively run their transformations. They don't actually have the mechanics to track the actual impact of things, either the current performance or the ongoing changes to the transformation. As part of initiation, we put that, mecha uh, that mechanism and that capability in place, which is absolutely fundamental to being able to uh, go into delivery, because otherwise you're at risk of spending money of the organization without being able to justify or evidence its impact. And so that's the end of design. Riff, I don't know whether you want to you want to have a go at delivery. Yeah, I mean, delivery is, is fairly straightforward and, and many of your listeners will, will already have a good grasp of, of how this is done. We, we split right. the transformation up into work streams. Each work stream has a work stream lead and then there are initiatives or projects within each work stream. Each has an initiative lead. These are all tracked on the transformation Kanban. There are two major governance forums that we have. We've already mentioned the TAM, the Transformation Accountability Meeting. This is led by the Transformation Lead with all of their Workstream leads present and any kind of key stakeholders. And the kind of two main things they're doing at that meeting is saying, how are we doing? Are we on track to hit our transformation outcome? Because remember, you did the transformation outcome on day one and you hadn't done anything. So it was a hypothesis. So to think that it's going to be the same for the next two, three, five year transformation is absurd. So you're looking at it going, say, we're going to take for, as could mention, 30 weeks or 20 weeks out of this process, we're going through and saying, does that still look viable or do we need to reassess and replan? Um, and you might get to the point where the transformation is not viable and you'd have to stop. Um, so that's that's a valid outcome in this instance. But you're doing that. You're checking on the, the, the kind of the metrics and the progress towards the transformation outcome. You're running through each of the work streams and making sure that they're on track. And if they're not, you're trying to replan and make sure that, that the outcome is still valid. The other part of the transformation accountability meeting, as we mentioned, is the two way accountability going through the blockers backlog. The transformation lead is saying, here are the things that are blocking value. And here is what myself and the team are doing to unblock the delivery of value and any new blockers are raised. There's also another key meeting called the WAM, the Workstream Accountability Meeting. It's very similar to the TAM, but it's focused on a single workstream. So this is lower level. Yes, it's much more delivery focused at a workstream level. The TAM is for the whole transformation. The WAM is just at an individual workstream level. So each workstream will have its own WAM and they kind of run weekly in between the monthly TAMs. Much more delivery focused, much more about getting under the nuts and bolts of delivery, uh, anything and improvements. Obviously, there's retrospectives and improvements to the processes built into that. And then every initiative as it's delivered rolls up to achieving the transformation outcome and rinse and repeat. Um, so the, the hard work is done in the design phase. And I do appreciate that's a lot of upfront planning. 
but yeah. it's absolutely it's absolutely essential and necessary to do lots of upfront planning and i know sometimes in that's not the done thing in in some circles uh, let's not do planning because plans are wrong and that's absolutely not the case you do the plan you do the hard work in the planning knowing that it will be wrong but if you cannot make the transformation add up financially in a plan why do you think that it will subtly magically add up in the real world of delivery so long as you're revisiting that plan and you're you're updating that plan and you're checking it it's absolutely valid to do upfront planning well i'm, I'm glad you brought that up um uh, yes i mean coming from an agile background that's i'm imagining some of the people i'd work with would say oh my goodness that sounds like a lot of upfront planning but we do that anyway we we do that like it or not with any kind of development process um and as you say if there's a lot of money riding on the outcome and the clarity of the outcome it seems like it makes sense it does 100 percent. i mean I, i've obviously worked with a lot of agile teams as well and i have worked with someone yeah. who said look we do not plan we do not do estimates and when you ask them why you don't get a credible answer i mean i think the whole we write a business plan and then you're held to account for the next five years on that business plan is equally wrong. Um, yeah. So this is not the case that the business plan, it's a living, breathing document. I think that's one of the big key steps that's missed is you've got to be constantly updating it, constantly revisiting it. And if the outcome is, you know what, this transformation is no longer viable in the real world, then stop. Don't kind of fall into the sunk cost fallacy of just spending more money. Um, because again, at the end of the line, you're going to be left with something that's not viable and valuable, and it's going to be even worse. So you spent more money. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's back to our, our uh, the client that Cohen was referring to, who had to take him aside and say, "Let's not uh, let's not ask these questions. It's making me look bad." Yeah. So, so the model in general, it's it sounds. It sounds pretty um, pretty comprehensive. What what do you think are the key kind of selling points where it really shines? What does it get right? Everything. No, I'm of course. <laughs> uh, I think I think the biggest thing for me is it's very very detailed. So each of the items that we've kind of glossed over has an entire chapter where we go into a lot of detail. So in the Tam and the Wham chapters. This is how the meeting should be run. Here's the agenda. Here's what you talk about. Here's what you should ask. Here are the inputs and the outputs. Here's what to do if things don't go wrong. Here's how to run each of the elements. It's very, very, very detailed. Now, you might not agree with some of it, but you, we hope that you won't be left wanting for more detail. So I think that for me is it's very, very actionable. It's very, very detailed. Um, I think that's really good. And I think the other big part for me is the design phase is we labor the design phase a lot because we see that part being missed a lot. A lot of organizations are good at delivery um, with a few tweaks like the TAM and the WAM and the blockers backlog. I think they're pretty much okay. They miss the design phase and they don't understand what they're trying to achieve. They don't understand how that's gonna have a measurable impact on the valuation of their business. They don't set up the metrics. They don't get the team aligned around a common goal. Um, they don't set everything up so that you get to delivery day one and, and you're successful. So I think they're the kind of two big things for me. Kieran, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd echo that and I'd add in also that we've created the Hero TMO, which is Transformation Management Online Software. Um, so it's a SaaS product that while it's sympathetic to the Hero framework, it's also agnostic to any framework in terms of managing large scale change. There is very, very few SaaS products, if any, any useful ones that are out there. And when we felt we needed to create one because our experience and, and feedback from clients is they're spending anywhere from six to maybe eight, nine percent of their budgets 
on the administration of the transformations. Now you're talking about something that's gonna materially impact your company. That's gonna be a big transformation. It's gonna cost you lots of money and six to 8% of that budget just being spent on managing Google Sheets or Excel and the sort of PowerPoint that needs to come for them to keep people informed is is um, is an overhead that we just don't support. I, we just don't think it's necessary. Mm. Um, I think there's there's also the the unintended patterns that you're seeing in how people report, what we refer to as watermelon reporting in the industry, where you know for fear of, of their job or reputations or hope that it'll come right in the future, people present out a, an artificially rosy green status when the reality is it's probably quite red on the inside. And I, I think it's just, the, you know, whether it's done intentionally or not, it's really dangerous because people are making some really big decisions based on these reports. Um, you know, probably the, the the worst case I've seen of that, which you had the executive colluding with the people, the, the middle management who were responsible for the transformation was that they all sort of convincing themselves that, um, the reporting, the adoption of the framework in this particular large-scale agile adoption was, was the fastest in the world, and that was success. And it's like, what? what? How? How? Yeah. Like, what? Who, who cares? Like, adopting a model is not success. Now, you don't adopt our model, you use it. it it's not a way of operating your company, so it's, it's different. And I think it's really important. It goes back to the, the, the points of really clear on why you're doing something and then having the mechanics to track how every single piece of work that has been done and performed as part of the transformation shows and links back to the overarching transformation goal. I guess that segues into, and I think you've touched on some of this, but the most critical thing to get right in a transformation is what, Cohen? I'll go with you first. Um know why why you're doing this where you're going design a transformation it's you it's like it's like basically what ends up going to happen is you're saying to everybody right we're going to go on a journey let's get in the car and everyone starts driving now half the people are up in scotland and you said well, well no we're, we were going to get the ferry over to france but you didn't tell anybody so it's getting absolutely crystal clear on where you're going and making sure that everybody is aware of what that is and the communication side of it. So I think if you don't design where you're going and it's not measurable, um, I think you're you're not going to be successful. Spot on. And uh, Arif? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And then the kind of flip side of that is making sure that once you've got a, an outcome that you've set, so cost takeout or reducing the number of hours in your process or days or weeks in your process or impacting on the children or whatever, whatever it is, if you're, if you're a charity, it might not be so financially driven, um, that the outcome of that has a positive material impact on the valuation of your company. Again, if you're a charity, that might be a little bit different. But for most organisations, that you're going to do a transformation and the objective is not the activity itself. It's not the change. It's the impact that it will have in your organization once you are finished. And I think that's often missed. Uh, I think that's probably the things that it's very hard for people to kind of see that far in the future, but it's absolutely essential that you can say we're spending some money and then there's a disproportionate impact on, on the company valuation or the results or whatever it is you're measuring. Um, right. right, yeah, exactly. Okay, so, so you've got a solid model, you've clearly got, um, you know, a philosophy and a background that brought you to this stage. So 
what what would you both think is more important when you're when you're approaching a, pro a huge big hairy problem like this is it the model that you deploy or is it your philosophy i think they're almost the same thing i think we bake that philosophy into the model um it's, it's kind of a for us it's one and the same thing which is why it took so long i think to to get to this stage i don't know what do you think Ian? yeah i mean i'm just listening to the question and i I'm wondering, I, I, I can't tease them apart. Mm. Now, I suppose the philosophy is something that's just inside of us and we've expressed it through the framework. So yeah. if I had to give an answer, I would say the framework, because if you follow it, you would be following our sort of way of thinking of the world and our philosophy. So yeah, the framework. Okay, cool, thanks. I'll ask the question because clearly, you know, if we look at stuff like the Agile Manifesto, we've got, the manifesto and then we have all the flavors that fall out of it like scrum uh, and then you get this cargo cult agile thing happening where where people kind of, kind of blindly follow a process um, and uh, and do that without really understanding why and what was behind it so so do you feel that that the way that you've put the book together makes it really clear every step of the way for people following your process even if they don't quite understand the philosophy they're getting an education in that too and I, I think we've actually we've left we've left some degrees of flexibility in delivery i think in design we're very opinionated about mm. how it should be done the order it should be done the inputs and outputs i think in delivery we've we've left a lot more flexibility if you want to use waterfall you want to use agile you want to use some derivation of both i think we, we're not really that opinionated we, we in the book we talk about the the kind of the more aspects of delivery that we think are useful rather than being dogmatic around the label but we've, we've given a lot more flexibility because most organizations do do delivery today they have change management teams they have program teams they have delivery teams so we've tried to be a little bit more flexible and putting kind of governance and, and a methodology across what's already happening whereas in design we're a lot more dogmatic and, and much more prescriptive i think how can people find out more about hero uh go to the website herotransformation.com is the sort of the source of all knowledge you can find out about the the book which is coming out on the 22nd of september uh the framework you can talk about any training or consulting services or um the frame or sorry, access to the hero tmo as well it's all available okay so we'll we'll have links to the to the site and and um the book link as well in the show notes um along with uh, ways that people can get in touch with you both we usually wrap up these episodes with um sort of a more general look at the world out there so what what are the big trends that you're seeing that we should really be paying attention to right now in the age of covid I think it's a great time for technologists and digital people. I think there's been a huge swing towards kind of the trends that were emerging or we believed as technologists were already mainstream. And I think a lot of kind of senior business people have, have realized that they've arrived. You're seeing a huge channel shift towards e-commerce. I mean, the move towards automation, uh, RPA has exploded. Uh, a whole load of developments happening in, in the AI space. Uh, remote working has, has massively pushed uh, the kind of the agenda of kind of technology around laptops and video conferencing and kind of collaboration tools. I think it's an incredibly exciting time to be a technologist. And I'm just really, really excited to see how this will, if there is a silver lining, 
obviously it's a difficult time but if there is a silver lining how this will have a material impact on the way we do work and how we govern and run businesses in the future i think is a it was a real necessity to change because i think the paradigm of work has barely changed for i want to say 50 years I and mean, it hasn't changed that much you go to an office you have a job um you do it face to face I mean, it, it's not changed that much. And I think this is a real opportunity for us to to make a real difference to how we work together and how we run and govern businesses. Brilliant. And how about you, Cohen? Yeah, I think there's been one of the great impacts of COVID and the pandemic is that it's, it's forced people to do things that they didn't think were possible. Um, we've worked with clients who didn't believe that they could get new clients without having met them face to face or that you can't do consulting without being on a plane and in their in their in their um in their offices and so a lot of the the longer held myths of how you run companies is being dispelled which is fantastic and it's also presenting a real need for organizations to look at how they currently operate and to prefer to be better prepared for the next version of COVID or um, the next thing that fundamentally forces their hand they weren't prepared for. So I think being able to do change and do change successfully is is a real lifeline for organizations and a real opportunity right now because it's, um, you know, certainly within London, there's sort of rumors of of a second lockdown coming rather than this one finishing. So, you know, this, this, this climate that we're operating under at the moment isn't going to go away soon. Quite. And the uncertainty significantly so. Mm. Absolutely. Well, on that upbeat note, (laughs) thank you both so much uh, for joining the show and and sharing your your framework and your approach and your philosophy with with everybody on on LDN. Um, All the links and stuff we talked about will be available in the show notes as well as how how to get in touch with you. So thanks again. Have a great day. Brilliant. Appreciate you having us on, Kieran. Arif Harbert and Kuhn Mulligan are digital leaders and transformation specialists. Their new book, The Hero Transformation Playbook, the step-by-step guide for delivering large-scale change, is out on the 22nd of September in all good bookshops. So that's it for today's show. What did you think? Please leave a healthy, robust rating on your favourite podcast app and smash that subscribe button. As usual, you'll find notes on our site, www.ldnpodcast.com. And come join us on Twitter. I'm at Kironi, and this show is at LDN Podcast. <laughs>